May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this summer, we've been looking at the gospel according to David. We've looked at how Israel's great king points us to Jesus. And that even though he wasn't perfect, David models a life of faithfulness. Here was a king who defended his people against their enemies. He forgave those who sinned against him, and he honored the Lord and seeking him, and following him where the Lord led him. That's faithfulness. Yes, he certainly had his moments of failure in sin. Yet even in these, David showed us how to faithfully return to our Father, to receive his mercy and his grace. When we think of David, we have a tendency to kind of laser focus onto specific moments like, say, his battle with Goliath. But when we look at his life as a whole, as we have this summer, we see a life that is filled with triumph and trial, with temptation, with failure, with joy. It's a life of faithfulness. How is it that David remained faithful? Through all that we have read about, all that we have seen this summer, how did he remain faithful? Why didn't he rail against the Lord when he was forced to flee his country and live in enemy territory? Or when even his own son rebelled against him and tried to overthrow him? How could he have been faithful even in those years of living in caves? And dodging spears from the hand of a king that he loved. How did he remain faithful? How do any of us remain faithful? Well, this morning, to close our series, we're going to look at perhaps the most famous psalm there is. Psalm 23. In this psalm, we will find the answer to the search for David's faithfulness. We find that it wasn't something that was coming from deep within himself. It wasn't a stirring in his stomach or being strangely warmed, as our friend John Wesley likes to say. He simply followed his Lord, in whom he found a shepherd, a friend, and a savior. Now, shepherd imagery is common in both the Old and New Testaments. Jesus himself said that he was the good shepherd. And David was himself a shepherd before the Lord plucked him out of obscurity to make him king of Israel. But I am willing to bet that most of us here gathered today have not spent a significant amount of time being a shepherd, nor being around sheep. In fact, some of us have Maybe never even seen a sheep in real life outside of a petting zoo. It's a distant image for us. It's, it's not 
the most relatable thing in the world. And so we need to dig a little bit here. What what does David mean when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd? Well, to start, it is the language of leadership and protection. If the Lord is shepherd, then we can logically conclude that David is saying all those who follow the Lord are sheep. Again, I'm not sure how many of us spend a lot of time around sheep. I certainly have not, but I have, in fact, watched a number of YouTube videos about them, and that apparently makes you an expert on this sort of thing. So, I can tell you from my vast experience, sheep need to be led. Researchers have actually learned... I actually learned this this week. I didn't think this was true. But sheep apparently are quite capable of learning. I didn't think that was true. Apparently it is. And actually they learn quite quickly. If they have a teacher. If they have someone to lead them. Left to their own devices, they will quickly go off on their own, stray away from the herd, and get themselves into all kinds of trouble. There is a reason, friends, why this image is used throughout Scripture. Is this not exactly how we are without our shepherd? We need the Lord to guide us, to teach us, to lead us. Without him, we certainly go off on our own. We separate ourselves from those that would protect us, and we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. Certainly people can follow, we can learn once our eyes have been opened to the shepherd. We can be made to follow him, to stay with him. Without him, though, we fall into sin. We lose our way. And so David begins his great psalm here by acknowledging his need for the Lord. He's acknowledging that without the Lord, he would be lost. And of course, we've seen how this has played out through David's life, haven't we? We don't need to rehash his many sins, I'm sure. But since the Lord is our shepherd, we have one who guides us, who keeps us and and leads us. And he leads us not just aimlessly, but toward something, toward peace and blessing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Doesn't take long to figure out why this psalm is so popular, does it? It is all the language of peace and blessing. After all, what's better for a sheep than a green pasture and still waters? That is what the Lord desires for his people. It is important to remember that our our walk in this world is not aimless. It's not pointless. There is a goal. There is an end point. And with the Lord, that is the end point. Peace and blessing. That's amazing to think, after all we have read about David, after all the struggles that he has had, that he wrote these words, given that his life was anything but peace and quiet. Even for a king, life was not wine and roses for David, was it? But that's part of the point here. That in following his Lord, he does have peace even when things 
by any other account, by any other view, don't seem peaceful at all. And that is true because of how this portion ends here. Because the Lord, as our shepherd, restores our soul. What does that mean? It is nothing less than being brought back into right relationship with the Lord. Our souls that have been separated from Him. We have been separated from Him. He restores us to Himself. If we were to flip through the Psalms up to this point, the first 22 of them, we would find wonderful poetry and great images of the Lord that are helpful for faith and create a a wonderful presentation of, of who he is, but they tend to be kind of distant images. It's things like Lord and King and, and Shield, Defender, Rock. We read a lot about how great the Lord is and how little we are, and, and that's important. We, we need to learn that. We need to understand who he is and, and who we are not. That's a mistake we often make. We tend to reverse the positions, and so this is a helpful thing for us to learn. But in this psalm here, in Psalm 23, the language is intensely personal. It's not distant at all. David says the Lord is my shepherd, not a shepherd, but mine. That he leads me, he restores me. You see, David is not content with just presenting the Lord as shepherd. He wants us to see what kind of shepherd he is, that he is personal, that he is ours. And as our shepherd, he is the sort that cares for each and every one of his sheep so personally and so intimately that he would restore each of us to relationship with him. He longs for us to have that restorative peace that only he can give. It's the very image that Jesus takes up for himself in John 10, where he tells us that he brings his sheep into his fold, that he knows his sheep, that he knows us. It's a comforting thought, isn't it? That Jesus knows you. When we find him, when we know him, he restores us. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pastor. Those were Jesus' words. That is what is on offer for all. He is the shepherd who leads his people to peace through the restoration of our souls. Not generally. This isn't a generic truth. This is personal. It is specific. It is as C.S. Lewis said that Jesus died not for men, but for each man. That if each man had been the only man, he would have done no less. He restores each of us. What a wonderful truth for us to grab onto, and it would be tempting to just leave it there. Renewed relationship, peace with God yet again. How much do we long for those things? But there is more to be said here. Because our shepherd does not stop at restoring our souls. David continues that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
You see, once we are restored to him, found in him, the Lord then shows us how to walk with him, to follow him. That's sanctification, learning to be his and to be like him in this world. And he does it for his name's sake. That is to say that that he would be known, that his name would be glorified. It is a truth that we see throughout Scripture, that the Lord acts in such a way to provide personal and individual blessing, that we ourselves are restored to God through the work of Jesus Christ, but that that blessing that comes to us is not meant to be clung to and hoarded by us. We are to live out in that blessing. It is meant to be enjoyed and lived in such a way that others would see the blessing of Christ in us and that his name would be glorified in the way that his sheep follow him. The personal individual blessing is then meant to be used for collective blessing. And we could think of Abraham, who was blessed to be a blessing. The entire nation of Israel was created to be a blessing to the world. The church of Jesus Christ is here to glorify him and bless the world that he has placed us in. Even in places where it can kind of feel challenging to want to bless them. David is reminding us that Living righteously is to the glory of God because he is the one who leads us. That without him, we would stumble and fall like all sheep. We would choose sin every single time. But since he leads us, since we who believe in Jesus Christ have the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he leads us, he sanctifies us so that others would know him, would desire him. It is why it is so tragic when we Christians do not follow the paths of righteousness, especially when we're actually right about what we're saying, and yet we communicate it in such a way that nobody would ever want to know Jesus at all. It is the Lord's desire to make himself known in and through his people, and so we need to ask him to lead us, to refine us, to sanctify us, to lead us in paths of righteousness that we might show his glory in all that we do and all that we say. He is our shepherd. We need him to lead us. He is also our friend. And he used the King James language here, since most of us know it pretty well, I think. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, without question, we have an image of shepherding here, but we also have an image of friendship. This verse shows us exactly what a good friend does, doesn't it? They walk with us. They defend us. They comfort us. It's one of the things I love about this psalm. It's so kind of peaceful and almost relaxing to listen to. And yet it's not passive in any way. It's active. There's movement here. We walk through life. It is a a subtle teaching that life is something meant to be lived out. And in living it, we will walk through challenging times. David certainly knew this better than most. 
And what is it that a good friend does when we are walking through difficulty? Leaves us alone, right? Grab them bootstraps, pull yourself up, you'll get through it. No. They walk with us. David can say he fears no evil because the Lord is with him. The Lord was with him in the cave. The Lord was with him in the court of Saul when the most powerful man in the country wanted his head on a platter. The Lord was with David even in his sin when David placed himself in the shadow of death. That's what a good friend does. A friend does not leave us on our own to get through our struggle, but grabs an arm and walks with us. We could think of the addict who just needs someone to sit with and talk through their struggles and temptations. We could think of the person who is fighting depression and just needs someone to be present with them. We could think of the one who feels covered by their sin so much that they are consumed by shame. And they need to hear from a friend that there is a greater friend who restores their soul. What a friend does. Now let me ask you. If someone were to come up to you on the street today and say, well, you're, you're a Christian. Describe Jesus to me. Tell me about Jesus. How long would it take you to get to friend? I'm guessing probably a while. Lord, Savior, those are going to come to mind pretty quickly. Son of God, I hope, would come to mind really quickly. But friend? I'm guessing that's not making our top ten list. And yet, that is exactly how Jesus described himself. On the night that he was being betrayed and handed over for trial and crucifixion, he said to his, his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. To believe in Jesus, to be restored and redeemed by him, is to find a friend. A friend who does not abandon us when the darkness surrounds us, but rather one who goes into the pit of darkness itself and rescues us, restores us, redeems us. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Those are the words of Jesus. He does not leave us alone, ever. What comfort that is in these days. Sure, we're out and about now, but we weren't for a while, were we? And some of us felt the weight of that, I'm sure. Many of us did, probably all of us in one way or another. Jesus did not abandon you. He does not abandon us. He is the greatest friend we could have. He walks with us. What a comfort that is when we look ahead, not knowing what the school year will bring, not knowing what the next few weeks will bring, not knowing what the future of our family or our church or whatever it might be. We do not walk through these things alone. Jesus does not leave us on our own to find our way out. He did not leave us in our sin, but became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we too can say we should fear no evil, for he is with us. 
He is our shepherd and he is our friend. And as our friend, he defends and comforts us. That's where this rod and staff image come in. These were tools of a shepherd. The rod was a weapon that if any enemy came up to a sheep, he could give it a knock. He could defend the defenseless. Sometimes a sheep needs to be defended from themselves, and so he uses his staff to guide them. It's all part of what our friend Jesus does for us. He defends us from assaults of our enemy as we turn to him in prayer. He guides us and corrects us because, let's face it, we need a whole lot of it. A friend knows when to bring a hammer and when to bring a hug. And so does Jesus. That's the God that David knew, who enabled David to live a faithful life, not only because he was shepherd and friend, but also finally because he is Savior. Verse 5, we are brought into a feast. Now, Often when I have read this verse, I've concluded that what the Lord is saying here is that he is with us even when we're surrounded by our enemies, for enemies are, are, are present here at this feast. And while that is true, it is a conclusion that falls into the category of right teaching, wrong verse. It's actually not what's being shown here. You see, this is a victory feast. And in that time, when your military, when your army had a victory, your defeated enemies were brought in to witness your victory celebrations. It's like an ancient sort of, let me grab that wound and pour a whole lot of salt in it for you there. Just rub it in a little bit. That's actually the sort of imagery that's being used here. Not that the Lord will literally bring the fallen in to the presence of the redeemed for the redeemed to brag about their state. But it is to show what the Lord has accomplished on our behalf. That he has delivered us from the hand of our enemy, from the hand of sin and Satan, so that we might enjoy him. God is meant to be enjoyed, friends. It's meant to be delighted in. We are brought into his presence. We are anointed with oil, which is a symbol of being set apart, of chosen by God. And the result is overflowing blessing of goodness and mercy and eternal life in God's presence. That is the victory that God has claimed for his redeemed. That those who he has redeemed will feast with him in his presence for all eternity. Heaven itself is celebration. It's the victory feast described in Revelation 19. It is the feast which our weekly celebration of communion is a foretaste of. When we will sit with Jesus and be in his presence forever. It's what he makes possible as a savior. It is what we all who have been redeemed looked forward to. It is the words of Paul. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Or O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we hear in a lot of different places this idea of victory in Jesus and victorious living. And we have this tendency to make it about material blessing and 
extravagant living in this life, but it's about the, the greater glory of God and being in his presence. Don't limit it. Don't diminish it by making it about the blessing of a new car or a big bank account. It is life with him. His joy in his presence forever. He's far greater than any of that. We'll just say stuff. I'll be polite. Victory in Jesus is him overcoming death and bringing us to him. It is celebrating in him. How does, how does that influence our faith? Do we even think about that on a daily basis in our, our walking with Jesus? That is what our friend wants for us. That is why we fear no evil, for that is the destiny for all who love Jesus. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, they capture what's going on here in Psalm 23 so well that Jesus has saved us. And as our shepherd, our friend, and our savior, we get to delight in him forever. How then is it that David remained faithful? (laughs) With all that he experienced, with all that he lived through, how did he remain a man after God's own heart? How do any of us remain faithful in all the challenges we face when we look out in the world and, and frankly at times feel scared of where things might be going? How do we remain faithful? Well, it is by the wonderful blessing of the Lord for all that he has accomplished for us. It is how anyone will ever remain faithful. And that is what David's life shows us. That is what we have seen throughout First and Second Samuel. That on our own we will stumble and fall, but the Lord is with us. He guides us, he comforts us, so that we might have peace and dwell with him with a joyful heart in the presence of Jesus forever. He is our shepherd, our friend, and our savior. That is the gospel according to David. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for not leaving us in the the muck of our sin. Thank you that you sent your son to redeem us, to lead us, and to deliver us. Father, I pray that you would so shape our understanding of Jesus, our relationship with him, that we would see him as the, the greatest friend we could ever have that we would never feel alone or abandoned, but know that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death, that you went through the shadow of death to deliver us from the pit of darkness. And because of that, we can have joy. We can have peace. Father, let that shape our living day to day, that your glory, your name would be known. In Jesus' name, amen.